I'm here to introduce the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about from the guys you know and trust. Go Chad! Turn it up. You're listening to The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jay Scott. Presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. Yeah, yeah. On 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Join us on Thursday at the Warehouse from 2 to 6, 86 East University Parkway in Orem. Prices so low, it will blow your mind. Check it out at the Warehouse. Excited to go hang out with Tom and the crew on Thursday. We're going to talk to Chris Mannix coming up here momentarily. Gordon from Sports Illustrated. We'll get his thoughts, and I'm curious his thoughts on the timeline. You think if they're getting all these players back to the facility and they're going to start the uh, the testing and all that, that the union's going to have to have 100% sign-off. So I would guess that that is coming pretty quick. Yeah, that's that's the way I think, and uh, that's the indication that we've been. There are some folks that don't want to do it, and they won't do it, but I think uh, most of the NBA players want to get back at it. Yeah, it certainly would. Uh, it certainly would seem that way. So, uh, we'll get Chris's thoughts on that. Also, his thoughts on really the the detail that emerged last week. We haven't talked to Chris since last Monday, so we'll uh, we'll see what he has what he thinks about that. There's also some coaching news out there that uh, Chris has been tweeting about today. So, you know, I'll tell you, Gordon. I get the question all the time, and I I know you do too. Boy, what are you guys talking about when they're not playing games? And it's like, oh, man, you have no idea. There is new news pretty much every second of every day. Yeah, bit by bit, it's coming out. We're getting more information, and uh, I, I think it's whetting the appetite. No doubt. All right, it's time for your daily assist. Austin, hit it. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist brought to you by our friends at Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Joining us from Sports Illustrated, he is Chris Mannix with us on the big show. Hi, Chris. How are you? What's going on, guys? Hey, we're just uh, following uh, all the NBA news as it slowly uh, comes out. In fact, I'll, I'll ask you about this or start this off here. We, I get it all the time where people say, oh, what are you talking about with no sports games going on? It's like, oh, man, you have no idea. The news is fast and furious. Yeah, I mean, and I think we talked about this somewhat last week, but, you know, you're you're definitely going to see guys, um, you know, withdrawing from Orlando. And, you know, one of the things I think I said to you last week was that the the concern really isn't on and shouldn't be necessarily about the Donovan Mitchells and the Jason Tatums, but on these, you know, would-be unrestricted free agents who – you know, the difference between injury and not is big contract or nothing. And a guy like Davis Bertans is a perfect example of it. He's on a team that's in all likelihood going nowhere, and he has too much at stake, an eight-figure-per-year contract that is going to be coming his way provided he doesn't get injured. So, you know, players like that in, in the days to come, um, 
I, you know, tomorrow's the day they're supposed to tell the NBA. Some players will take it beyond that, I'm sure. Uh, but in the days to come, I think you're going to see players, more players uh, withdraw. Do you, what do you, uh, this is no way you could know this, but do you have any idea what the percentage is of guys who are eager to get back at it and those who do have concerns? Well, I mean, the, it's, it's hard to know who's eager and who's not. I, I think that the vast majority of the NBA is ready to play. The vast majority of the NBA is also very concerned about playing. You know, there's – players are not speaking with one voice on this. I mean, you saw Trevor Reza pull out for a reason that nobody you know, could have anticipated with you know, the situation with his family. But, you know, players have a number of different concerns, whether it's personal health concerns, health concerns of family members, risk of injury, social justice. I mean, they're, you know, they, they really run the gamut with, with these types of issues that, that players have. I think, you know, excuse me, by and large, you're going to have 90, 95% of, of eligible players down there playing, but you know there will be a decent number that decide you know not to go and to uh, back out, and, and they'll be within their rights to do it. What are your thoughts on Chris Paul's leadership through all of this? Oh, I, I think it's been great. I mean, you know, Chris Paul and Michelle Roberts have have really done everything possible to make sure that the union is in lockstep with the NBA on all these issues. I think the greatest example of that is that we really haven't heard much infighting between the union and the league. I mean, there's been the occasional, you know, eyebrow raise, whether it's the December 1st uh, start to the 2020-2021 season or some issues with testing. But by and large, uh, they've been on the same page. And look, Michelle Roberts is certainly leading the negotiations, but Chris Paul is speaking for the players. And and I think it's been uh, a relatively seamless uh, transition. I mean, you, you contrast that with the just absolute pie fight that's going on in baseball right now. That you, you just have to really respect the job that that union leadership has done in getting us to this point. Is there anything, Chris, that we're forgetting about or not paying close enough attention to uh, from this plan that you've uh, now had a, a good amount of time to study? No, I mean it, it's pretty straightforward. I mean the, the the issue continues to be where they're going and. And I've talked to dozens of NBA uh, personnel and types that have real concern about Florida right now. And a lot of them, the concern is that, like, you should have seen this coming. Like, Florida was the state that basically, you know, collectively shrugged at, you know, protecting yourself against coronavirus. They opened up earlier than everybody else. They allowed the beaches to be flooded longer than everybody else. I mean, we can, you know, snub our nose at scientists all they want, but scientists are the ones that said that, you act like this, and you're going to see a spike. And here we are in middle of June, and a spike is here. Now, that's of greater concern, of course, because you know the NBA is going to have untested people rolling through there, and, and that that's got to be pretty scary. I mean, I've I've been covering boxing for the last few weeks about what's going on with Top Rank and what's going on in Las Vegas, and they just had another false positive test, the second of the three positive tests they've had that have been a false positive. So this testing. Uh, as scientific as it is, it's not entirely accurate. Uh, so there's there's some definite concerns with with going down there into that state, which you know is only getting hotter as as a COVID hotspot. So review with us, if you will, Chris. Uh, Chris Mannix with us because I saw you tweeting about uh, boxing earlier today in that situation that you just brought up. What's the protocol with the NBA? They're going to do follow up tests immediately to to snuff out false positives, or what's their uh, what's their plan? 
Yeah, the NBA is going to take it a step further. And look, boxing as one of the first sports back is going to evolve as well. Um, you know, they, they can't have fights being canceled on false positives, especially when these false positives, and this one in particular, come from the manager of a fighter out in Las Vegas who tested positive the day of his fighter's fight. And per Nevada rules, he had to, the fight had to be scrapped. The fighter had to get out of the bubble. Uh, the manager, everybody that was in that team had to get out of the bubble. He was tested again the day he found out about the positive, and that test came back today as, as a negative. So, um, you know, that, that, that certainly screwed up everything out in, in Nevada. But for the NBA, if player X tests positive, they'll be quarantined, but they'll be immediately given another test. And if that test tests positive, uh, that player will be allowed to stay. So they're adding, like, another layer of protection so they don't have these positives. The bigger issue, I think, that exists is that you, you just you don't have – uh, best testing happening at all times. Like in Nevada, much of the, as far as I know, much of the tests that are being done are not those deep nasal swaps. They're either in the throat or they're on, or they're sort of a lower nasal swab. Those simply aren't as accurate as, as the deep nasal swabs. Now, nobody wants those deep nasal swabs, believe me. I mean, just watching them, I, I think, you know, makes me, you know, kind of want to throw up. But I, I mean, if you're going to try to be as safe as possible, and this is the only way to do it, that's the way it is at this point. So I think that's going to be interesting, how the NBA addresses testing. Will they require everybody to do those deep nasal swabs, or will they just be used in the case of a positive test? Chris, do you think there's a team that has has utilized its situation to better prepare for the restart? I mean, didn't I see something online somewhere that claimed that the Lakers – we're uh, coordinating some kind of uh, team meetings or, or practices. And if it's online, Chris, it must be true, right? Yeah. Uh, is, there, is there a team that's better positioned, or is that just as everybody's starting equal? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know that everybody's starting equal because, you know, these teams are going to look decidedly different. I mean, we know in Utah, no Bogdanovic. Uh, Trevor Reese is out in Portland, but here comes Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic, who are done for the season. Uh, you know, back in March, you know, we've talked about Ben Simmons coming back for Philadelphia and the, up, the upgrade that gives them, uh, you know, a, a lot of teams that I've talked to are their players are having these types of zoom workouts and, and different practices that are coordinated online. Uh, that, that's not so unusual. I think the, the big indicator is going to be this week and next when we see these guys come in and, you know, you talk to coaches and other players about exactly what kind of condition that they're in and, you know, which guys have been staying in shape and which guys weren't. I mean, that's really the only barometer that we can use to start making some projections about which teams uh, should be favored. Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated uh, with us here on 97.5 and 1280 Zone. And, uh, Chris, I know you were tweeting about this right before you came on with us. Talk to us about the New York Knicks coaching search. You talked about their wide net. Is there a, a, a direction you expect them to go? Well, I mean, at the very least, they're acting like a functional franchise, which I haven't seen in like two decades. Like, you know, before it was, hey, here's, we, we love Isaiah Thomas. Let's give him a job he isn't qualified for. Hey, Phil Jackson's the greatest coach of all time. Let's give him the other job he's not qualified for. So, like, in the past, they've just tried to win the press conference and not win games. And at the very least, you saw them interviewing Jason Kidd. Uh, they've interviewed some lesser-known names like Jamal Mosley down in Dallas. Pat Delaney in Orlando. These are really quality basketball minds uh, that, you know, maybe it's not their time just yet, but it's good for the Knicks to be interviewing them and, and kind of getting to know them a little bit. Most people in the NBA still see this as Tom Thibodeau's job to lose. Uh, Thibodeau was effectively represented by Leon Rose, the new president of the Knicks, 
Uh, so that relationship looms large. And you know, Tibbs is anxious to get back in. He's not looking to have total control of basketball ops anymore. Um, and his, his, his coaching credentials are, are unquestioned. I mean, he's had great success just as a coach, it's, as a GM, where he's been really bad. So uh, I, I think that's, that remains the front runner there. But it's good that the Knicks are you know, not leaving any stone unturned as they go through this process. Chris, I'll ask you a question that uh, Jake and I talked about earlier. Outside of the Lakers and the Clippers and the Bucks, is there a team that you think actually, uh, given a, the right set of circumstances, could pierce through those three and, and uh, reign supreme? Yeah, all in on Philadelphia, baby. Eastern Conference champions. Let's, let's crown them right now. I mean, the, the, I just looked. The Sixers are the one team – that is equipped to win these ugly pie fights that are going to take place in the NBA. I mean, three-point shooting percentages are going to be horrible. Like, they are just going to be, you know, low 30s, high 20s. You just simply can't get in the kind of midseason form you need to be in to, to make threes. And the Sixers don't make threes. So you got Ben Simmons back. Uh, you know, Embiid, I'll take him at his word for now, said he's been working out six days a week. So uh, let's, let's say he's in pretty good shape. So there's your low post presence. Uh, I think they're just well equipped to win ugly games. And as bad as Al Horford's been all season long, I you know I know from watching him in Boston, he's been a great postseason player. Uh, I think they've got an opportunity here to to right some wrongs and right the ships. I mean, the, the end of the end of March or middle of March, this is a lost season. Everybody could have been fired. Brett Brown, Elton Brand, Simmons, Embiid. One of them could have been traded. This is their opportunity to to, to kind of rekindle things and and salvage what seemed unsalvageable three months ago. Chris Mannix with us here uh, on the big show on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Gordon and I also had a, a conversation today about the Raptors. And uh, moving on from Kawhi Leonard, I, I admit I was wrong. I didn't give them uh, much of a chance there in the East. But Pascal Siakam has taken even another step. Is he good enough to carry the load for that franchise? Well, it'll be interesting to watch, right? Like, I mean, he was on fire to start the season he struggled a little bit in December, January. He picked it back up before the pandemic hit. Um, he's a real wild card. I mean, he has been great as a secondary player, as a number two star, a Pippen-like player. Uh, he was awesome. Um, can he do it as the alpha when defenses are geared toward him in the playoffs? Uh, it, it might not be so much about Siakam as it is about the guys around him. I mean, can Kyle Lowry make more shots? Can Fred Van Vliet make more shots? Um, yeah, I saw a picture of Marcus Gasol. He's lost like 30 pounds, it looks like. I mean, the guy in, looks like he's in great shape going into the postseason. Like, is he an effective player for them? So, I mean, there's a you – know, it is about Siakam and it isn't. Like, he's going to have to show that he can take over games of the fourth quarter. But building up to that point, he's going to have guys around him that can make shots. Chris, who do you think has done the best coaching job this year? Obviously, there's more work to do, and it's really a weird circumstance. But uh, is is Nick Nurse the guy? Who who would you favor? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Nick Nurse is a runaway winner here. I mean, I, I've I've pretty much decided that these last eight regular season games don't count for for voting purposes. I mean, I'm, I haven't made out my ballots yet, but uh, I'm not going to take into account what's happening. This is just we've talked about this before, but this to me feels like an entirely new thing. So I'm just going to base it on the but 60-ish, 70-ish games that have already been been played up until this point. I mean, there's been some good coaching jobs. Frank Vogel's been excellent uh, with the job he's done in L.A. with the Lakers. But, I mean, Nick Nurse lost the top three players, the finals MVP, and they barely missed a beat. They're number two seed in the in the East and and, and looking good going into the playoffs. So i I, I got to give Nick a lot of credit for, for keeping that team together and, and 
sort of developing these young players into the guys they are today. I know this is a bit review because we've asked you about this before, but it's fun to talk about this sort of thing. We just saw the beginning of Houston and the the Rockets' grand experiment going all in on the small ball thing. How much of a threat uh, are they, and do you think this experiment is going to pay off? You know, it, it didn't look great as far as you know paying off with a championship or even a trip to the finals before the pandemic. I mean, I just... It, it just always, even though they had their moments, the Westbrook-Harden pairing just seemed awkward, you know, especially when you consider how ball-dominant Harden is and how Russ really isn't a three-point shooter. I mean, you know, they're, they're certainly capable of just going off one after the other in a, you know, your turn, my turn type of situation. But I don't know. I mean, Houston's another one of those teams. I mean, I don't know where they rank, like top five at least in three-pointers attempted. Like, they're, I think they're going to have some problems there. Like, I just don't think guys are going to be sharp with a three-point shot uh, for the rest of this year. So, uh, that that would be a concern for me if they just you know wind up shooting in the low 30s from three and they're attempting more than anybody else. So I, I you know I, I don't think it ends after this year. Uh, I think they'll certainly give it another year, uh, especially if there's a coaching change uh, there with Mike D'Antoni going. But uh, I, I don't have a lot of optimism for them making a run this year. Chris, uh, the the old uh, cliche defense wins championships is that just not true anymore? Especially in the NBA, with uh, you just mentioned teams that might struggle offensively uh, uh, might be in a in a world of hurt. Do you think that's true anymore, or is it all about uh, just putting up those shots and and making them, and then and then holding on at the other end? No, I think defense still wins championships because. You know, all the great teams, or most of them that have won in the 21st century, they've had great defenses. I mean, you look at what Golden State has been, they've had a pretty elite defense along the way as well. The LeBron teams in Cleveland, I mean, Milwaukee's been a good defensive team. They're, they're, they're more known for their offense, and those outbrand defense is certainly relative now to what it was in the 80s and 90s when, you know, those scores were in double digits. But, uh, you know, each one of these teams has defensive stoppers and, and is able to put together good team defense. I think it's, it's imperative. You, like, I mean, the Rockets were often held up as an example as a team that could, if they won, they'd probably do it without an elite defense. But even the Rockets, you know, their best year, that year they went to the conference finals, they were inside the top 10 in defensive efficiency. And Mike D'Antoni's often said that we have to be a top 10 defense to, to be a championship contender. So it certainly isn't uh, – I think offense certainly leads the way in some of this, but I don't, I don't think you can be a championship team unless you have, at a minimum, a top-10 defense and probably a top-five one. I, was, I thought I was done, but let me throw this in there because I'm curious, you being a boxing expert, is the same thing true in fighting – in the fight game, or Mayweather was supposedly a great defensive artist, right? But what, what yeah. do you make of it in that setting? Yeah, I mean, Mayweather was a wizard. Pernell Whitaker was a wizard. The difference in boxing is that you can be, as Deontay Wilder has often said, you know, you can be great against me for 11 minutes and 59 seconds or whatever, or the entire fight, all I need is one second. Like, boxing used to have the eraser. And if you if you can go out there like Deontay Wilder, or I was watching old George Foreman tapes just today, where you can get beat up and pummeled for 11 rounds, but in that 12th, if you connect, it's lights out. That's, that's just a difference maker uh, right there in boxing. It's just the one aspect that basketball can't really match. Just being great in one minute can change the course of an entire fight. Chris, thank you very much. As always, look forward to catching up with you next week. You got it, guys. 
Chris Maddox from Sports Illustrated joins us each and every Monday right here on the big show on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I'm, I'm with him on that defensive stuff, Gordon. I thought that was a good question from you, but I do. I, you know, maybe now the requirement is you've got to have a top 10 uh, offense too, but you still have to have a good defense. We should go back and look at the numbers, but you know, Golden State, we remember them as being this rip-roaring offense, and they were, but they played great defense too. Clay Thompson, underrated defender. Draymond Green, of course. Kevin Durant, I think, is an underrated defender. I mean, they were a really great defensive team too. Well, this is an equation that the Jazz are trying to balance. Right. right. I mean, they go out and they get Boyan, and and uh, he's not a great defensive player, but he's uh, twenty points a game, better than that. And now, now he's gone, and so some people think the Jazz are a better defensive team uh, without him soaking up those minutes. But uh, offensively, maybe not quite as good. But if they can close that gap and be better defensively, did we ever figure out what they were when the after sixty four games as far as their ratings defensively and offensively? Weren't they in the top ten in both? Hold on, give me a sec. I'll give you. Yeah, the I, they, they've been the best second. offensive rating in the NBA since December twenty sixth. Yeah, and but certainly in the top. Offensive in, rating uh, eighth. Okay. One twelve point six. Defensive rating eleventh. One hundred nine point four. All right. Well. But at one that, point, weren't those both in the twenties? Yes. Yeah. At well, the beginning of the year, the, the, those statistics were more dire, yes. Everybody talks about the Jazz's need for, for more firepower offensively, but that defense has got to get better, too. And, uh, yeah, I, that'll be interesting to keep an eye on once this whole thing resumes. And I wonder, we, we all talk, we just heard Chris talk about the three-point shooting percentage is going to suffer. I wonder if the defense will suffer at all, the coordination involved in that. The the even the motivation or the you know the to play good defense man you gotta you gotta be hungry and I wonder if uh, a long time laying off like this uh, will affect that right. at any level. Well, I I think their on the ball defense should be better. Although it depends on where where do the minutes come to replace Bogdanovich on the back end, right? You know, because Royce mm-hmm. already played a prominent role. His role might get magnified a little bit, but I mean, you know, Royce was already doing his thing, right? You know, Joe, Joe Ingles was already getting plenty of minutes. Maybe they, those go up a little bit, but I mean, is is there a defensive player that's going to get more minutes now that Bogdanovich is not there? Because that's, that's probably not George Niang, right? And it's probably not Mike Conley because I know different position, but he might have more of a magnified role and defense has been an issue with him. So I don't know. <laughs> Do you know that he was all NBA defense, uh, what, seven years ago, something like that? I thought I read that. I'm, 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 well, it's like my truth percentage. I'm 99.5% sure he was. Sometimes those defensive teams and uh, those things can get a bit skewed with stats. Like, is steals, and I know this is uh, probably unpopular in the market with the all-time steals leader, but, you know, is steals a real accurate defensive statistic, or is it somebody gets beat a lot and they're able to poke it out from behind? Or does it mean that you got Rudy Gobert or Mark Eaton standing behind you and you uh, you can gamble away? Right. No, great point. 
terrific point. So sometimes, sometimes those teams and things get a bit skewed. And, and you know what? Maybe Mike Conley, because he's just not tall, right? He's not a tall, long player. That's a fact. And you, you know, in his more athletic days, maybe he was able to be a little bit more effective. Or, or maybe he wasn't totally fitting into the Jazz defensive scheme. That could be part of it too. But what we saw was not terrific. It was not as good as Ricky Rubio. Let me put it that way. Who's the best short defender you ever saw, Jake? I'm putting you on the spot here, and, I, and I'm not sure I can even answer this question. Besides Muggsy? <laughs> well, he might, he might uh, punch you in the belt buckle. I, I'd I like mean, to see you defend an NBA player at five foot two. <laughs> he wasn't five two. How was tall he? was Muggsy? He was five, like five well, three, maybe, maybe five four, uh, five three. I mean, what would bother me about three, geez, come on, guys. About, about a player like that? What would bother me is, that, I mean, it's just it's like it's like having a rat under your feet, you know. It's like it's like having a dog uh, under your feet. You just feel like you know you're you don't feel secure. You can get your shot off, but they they might get you in the midsection. Okay, all right. I, I didn't mean on, to on just that. call. I didn't mean to call Muggsy Bogues a rat. That's not what I meant. But yeah, size-wise, let's or a let's dog. just maybe move. We'll, we'll let that breathe a little bit. Move on from it. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'd like to say Gordon's uh, opinions don't represent mine. But. Sarah Todd is going to join the show at the top of the five o'clock hour from the Deseret News, uh, but. Uh, We'll get to uh, Andrew Reinhardt coming up here in a little bit. We have an NBA update ready for you, too. Stay tuned. It is The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Utah's most listened to sports radio afternoon show. This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Sponsored by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. She sits alone by lamppost Trying to find a thought that's escaped her mind She says there's the one I love the most But time's not far Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big thanks to Chris Maddox for joining us uh, in the last segment. Gordon, we have a bit of breaking Major League Baseball news. Oh, boy, here and we go. I've got to admit, we've, uh, may need, uh, we may need Austin's help digesting this one and what's right. actually going on. But everybody, everybody was waiting for the decision, right? Here we go. This is according to ESPN. The Major League Baseball Players Association Executive Board on Monday voted to reject Major League ah. Baseball's 60-game offer with expanded playoffs, putting Commissioner Rob, uh, Rob Manfred in the position of uh, to unilaterally implement a schedule of his choosing, likely between 50 to 60 games. The vote was 33 to 5 against. So... Explain this, Austin. What did they agree to in March, and what's the difference between that and what they rejected today? What well, am I missing here? Right. It's a, it's a little confusing, and I'm not sure I'm entirely on exactly the right page, but if I'm understanding it correctly, what happened in March 
was put in place. The owners offered it. The players accepted it. Then, the, as we know, the owners came back and said, whoa, 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 whoa. If we're not going to have a gate, we want to change that. We want more games. And the players said, we want less games. And the owners said, we want to pay you different than we agreed to. And the players said, you're going to pay me all of my money. Well, what it's come down to now is the, pl- the players in this latest offer <laughs> have offered the owners 72 games. The owners came back and offered them 60 games, which is less. Right. Right. So that shows the owners weren't being uh, negotiated in good faith in that way. And so since the owners rejected the 72 games and proposed a 60 game, the players then rejected that. And now what happens is it goes back to they've had enough of a negotiation period that it goes back to the March agreement, which means the commissioner can now, I believe, issue a schedule between 50 and 60 games yeah, at his choosing. Mm-hmm. And then the players have the option to arbitrate and grieve that so the players can lock out I see. and take it to court. I see. Or strike in this case. Or strike, and yes. Right. This does not sound good at all. No, no, it uh, it really does not. And, and you know what? To, to compare it to the NBA, this is why I, I asked Chris Mannix how, uh, what he thinks of the job Chris Paul has done and, and throw in Michelle Roberts too. I mean, uh, say what you will, they're, they're whipping votes for the greater good. You know, they realize what's on the line here and getting the support of their union to salvage something is something that baseball is uh, on both sides. By the way, there's probably fault, but they've been unable to do. So kudos to Chris Paul. I mean, he he may not be my favorite NBA player, but through this, he's he's prioritize doing what they possibly can. And just re- real quick, it, this all also means we'll probably still see a 60-game schedule played this year, if not 50, but probably 60. Next year, I don't think we'll have a season mm. at all. Mm. Wow. Which really doesn't solve the situation at all. I think most people would rather not have a season this year and have next season not affected. Agreed. That's how I feel about But I don't it think point. that's an option. It's not an option, no. Yeah, so, I mean, because drastic times call for cooperation and there just really isn't any there. Let me ask you guys this. Do you feel like the owners even want a season to be played at all at this point? Some don't. I'm getting the feeling that the majority are sitting here going, what can we do to make sure there's no season? Okay, so well, explain to me this, and I'm not I'm not trying to to argue here. I really don't know. What what would be the motivation for owners to do that? What what would possibly be the motivating factor? Well, they're losing money, right? Right. By playing, they have to pay the players their full prorated thing they agreed to in March, and that's what they've been trying to avoid, and they're losing their entire gate, where at one point they thought, well, maybe we'll still get some gate. But they'll still have to have the stadium lights on and the security at the stadium and the uti- all the utility bills that go on to go into having a stadium open for a day of a game. Yet there's no gate coming back to the owners. Well, I, I guess that's that's why I raised the question, because with the NBA, there, there's no doubt they're they're losing a ton of money. Yes, they're they're losing money on this Orlando deal for the same reasons that you just laid out there. But it's how much money do you lose? Yeah, they're losing they're less. Less than they would just by not doing it. So I, I guess I understand that they're... Except they're paying the players more than they would have been because they agreed to it in March. Right. No, I get so. that too. But still, you're losing... Well, I guess, are you losing less? I don't I don't know. We'd have to get an accountant on the air. But I, I know with the NBA, they're anticipating losses. There's no doubt. It's just how, how much of the bleeding can you stop? And, and I'll tell you this, Gordo, you brought up this story on Friday... Artie Moreno ought to be just embarrassed of himself that he's worth $3 billion 
And Albert Pujols, who's worth a lot of money, but he's yet only worth 5% of Artie Moreno, is paying for Artie Moreno's employees because Artie Moreno's refusing to. Right. That's, I think, more prevalent than a lot of people give notice to. Yeah, how much has, I think, Pujols in his career has hauled in about, what, uh, two or th- 200 to 300 million or something like that? And uh, you said uh, Artie's worth uh, 3 billion or some such? Yes. Yeah. I, is that reflective of what we're looking at? <laughs> I, it, it seems to be to me. Is it is it that simple to boil boil it down to that? Probably not. I, probably I'm not unfair, saying that it is. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Is it is it that simple? Because not, the players, the players have also simple. balked along the way in this whole thing, right? And been really tone deaf to the p- person out there that pays for their salaries. But hey, you know, neither side looks great today. In my opinion, the owners look like they're the ones that, that are the, that, the, that the problem lies with. Curious because the players are the one that rejected it today after offering what. Yeah. So that 72-game offer the players offered the owners was a, the very same offer the owners offered two weeks ago hmm. that the players rejected. So if, so what happened essentially is the players came back to the owners and said, all right, you're right. What you offered us two weeks ago, we'll live with it. And the owner said, too late. Jeez. Oh, oh, man. What a mess. Yeah, it what is a mess. mess. I liked Chris Mannix's word for a pie fight. Pie fight. <laughs> <laughs> What a mess. Well, when was the last time you were in a pie fight? Never? Have you have you ever been in a pie fight? No. You? <laughs> at, at Clown I'm, College? I'm sure. <laughs> My wife's 10th birthday. That's what they did yeah. for her birthday. A pie fight? Yeah. Pie fights, yeah. I think I was in a pie fight once, but there was also a seltzer bottle involved. Okay, bozo. <laughs> was it a little flower on your lapel? One of one of my proudest moments ever as a young child was watching my dad in a pie eating contest and they had their hands tied behind their backs and there was a line of like 10 contestants and my dad won. Wow. And he he my dad was a very smart guy and he immediately dumped the pie out of the tin with his teeth. And then ate from there, and that's what gave him the edge. But he looked like he'd lost a pie fight in the middle after after watching that. But he did win it. What kind of pie? And I, it's it's amazing what a six year old kid will think is really cool. What kind of pie? Oh, what kind of pie was it? I think it was a banana cream. Because mm-hmm. that would be harder with a more uh, like like hearty pie, right? <laughs> Like banana cream, you know. Uh, like like a pecan or something, yeah, something some, solid. Right, something that required a little more. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd rather, I, I guess my point is, I think I'd rather have the banana cream for the pie eating contest as opposed to, yeah, or like a pumpkin pie, like something that's that'll stick to your ribs. It might have been pumpkin. I don't know, but you're right. I mean, well, think about it. If you had one of those pecan pies and somebody smashed that into your face. That would hurt. That'd be like getting hit by a brick. What about rhubarb? Where's your stance there? <laughs> I don't think I've ever had rhubarb. Too pie. tart for me. Too tart for you. Yeah. What's it taste like? Uh, it's tarty. <laughs> you know, we used to have a rhubarb plant at our in our yard at our house, and and uh, I never never brought myself to try it. Didn't even does just rhub- gnaw on it raw. Uh, mm-hmm. No, or try the pot. Does, does rhubarb taste like kiwi? No. no. What's it, ta- what's it no taste like? It tastes, tastes like, like red sand. 
with a little bit of uh, sour. Wait, a kiwi isn't tart at all. Kiwi? Okay, well, I don't know. Did you say kiwi's tart? I would say kiwi's very tart, yes. Mm. I, I, I've never had rhubarb. It's sweet, I have no but it has idea. that bite. Isn't that tart? Yeah, I guess a little What bit. are we doing? I just think of sweet. <laughs> I think of sweet tarts. What have I done with and my And that life? doesn't remind me of kiwi. <laughs> What's your favorite kind of pie? Apple. Oh, okay. That's kind of I had apple pie at my wedding. I can't eat apple pie without alamode. Why? You know? Because you got to have the ice cream. It's, it's a religious I thing. I don't think you have to have the ice cream. I think You, you kind of have to. Maybe you prefer yeah. it a la mode, but to say you have to have it a la mode. It won't digest you, you without really an ice cream. You mm-hmm. actually don't. You ever had French silk pie? Oh, man. With a little bit of that uh, cream on top? Oh, that'll get you. I have to have that Jeez. with Tabasco sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I wonder what the favorite kind of pie is in America. What do, what do Americans American eat? American is apple pie. Apple pie. America, I mean, there's a saying about it. Yeah, but that's that's that's. Uh, that's I'm not what? sure. That's, well, that's like calling baseball America's game. It doesn't make it America's favorite game. But it is America's game. <laughs> it marks the Whatever. times, Gordon. Did you not pay attention to James Earl Jones or what? <laughs> okay. All right. It marks the time, Gordon. I can't eat apple pie without the vanilla ice cream. You probably can, you, though. You got to have it. it. You probably can. It's cherry for- pie. Cherry pie can handle without the Alamode, although it's much better with the Alamode, especially if the pie is hot. Oh, baby. Now you got that ice cream melting over the top of it. Oh, delectable. What if uh, instead of ice cream, it's sherbet? <laughs> well, that would clash. Okay. That would clash. That's time for another Basketball is Back update. Let's hit it. Ow! Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net! Presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. All right, we have some uh, time frame for the NBA coming back. Of course, uh, this is pending a player approval at some point, but the NBA has set the transaction window, Gordon, for all 30 teams starting tomorrow at 10 o'clock a.m. Mountain Time to June 30th at 10 p.m. Uh, 10 p.m. Mountain Time. And basically, this is going to be uh, to to round out the rosters, uh, to get two-way guys set, and to make sure they have their roster for the bubble. I, I don't know how much action we're going to see here, but uh, we'll see some interesting moves from teams, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine. Although, what's your best guess about how that's going to go? Oh, I think some G League guys are going to get an opportunity. I, I think this is actually going to be a good thing if you're trying to kind of scrape your way into the league because you never know how fluid the roster situation is going to be in Orlando. And I think teams actually need to take this really seriously on uh, bringing back guys that they may need to play. Is there a G League guy that the Jazz could really use? A lot of people talking about Brantley, right? Jarrell Brant- yeah, uh, Brantley. I have, I have Moving him that. into the to the roster because he could help solidify the front court. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NBA will allow up to 10 coaches and facilities starting tomorrow as plays, uh, players return for ramp-up. And teams can have four players at the facility at once, June 30th through the 30th, eight players from July 1st through the 9th, and then from there they'll head, head down to Orlando for uh, full training camp. So there's your little schedule update for you on the road back to basketball, brought to you by Zions Bank. Check it out. 
check this out. And now, your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. With a little love and some tenderness. Big Show, it's Monday. That means it's time to get a winner for the Chevy Strong Play of the Game. Be caller 12 right now, 855-340-ZONE. Correctly identify the Chevy Strong Play of the Game. Announced by DJ and PK this morning at 8.50, and you'll win a Zone prize pack. It's the Chevy Strong Play of the Game, brought to you by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. Time for the Nod Sports Board, brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles and inventory. Shop online, lhmusedcars.com. Gordon, where are we going today? Going to Hollywood. Okay. Is that all right? Uh, sure. All right. Um, okay, let me let me ask both you and Austin this. There have been many different people, actors, who have been in the role of Batman through the years. Uh, apparently coming up in the next The Batman is Robert Pattinson, the dude who was in the Twilight movies, right? Okay. Well, he is not going to play Bruce Wayne in the... Or uh, he might not. Uh, but apparently, according to an institution called The Rap. Michael Keaton is in talks to return in the role of Batman in the upcoming movie, The Flash. How do you feel about that? I thought Michael Keaton was a good Batman. He's the best Batman. But he's he's a little older. See, here, this is always the debate with this. Are we talking about the best Batman or in the best movie? No, the best Batman. We're talking about, we're talking about the best Batman. Because here. I thought George Clooney actually is like, like made to play Batman, but the movie that he played Batman in was just terrible. You are the only person, George Clooney and his mother included, that think George Clooney was a good Batman. I like he. That's crazy. He's perfect for Bruce Wayne. No, he isn't. But Why he's not? perfect for ER. And the Italian, or the not the Italian job, but uh, uh, Ocean's Eleven remakes. See, I also but Batman. See, I also thought Val Kilmer was a good Batman, but that movie wasn't particularly good. Whereas Michael Keaton, I mean, you go from Beetlejuice to Batman. No, it was Batman to Beetlejuice, wasn't it? No, it was Beetlejuice uh, to Batman because Tim Burton directed the Batmans, and he uh, first encountered Michael Keaton with Beetlejuice. It, which be was bat, would it be the Batmans or the Batmen? Batman? I believe it's Batman's. But those movies were great. <laughs> I, I thought those those first two Tim Burton Batman movies were, were yeah. amazing. And by the but, way, didn't we lose today Joel Schumacher? Who, yes. Who uh, directed, I believe, mm. the, the the Val Kilmer Batman? So mm. that's that's kind of sad news today. Uh, so, I, Gordon, I don't have a very good answer to your question. I feel like it's complicated. Well, I, I remember the reason. they Most people thought Michael Keaton would not fit that role very good. But the director then saw what he looked like with the mask on, and he thought, that's our guy. Hmm. And Michael Keaton, I think, is a gifted actor. I like him. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know what Austin has against George Clooney. I, well, that I movie like was really Clooney. not good. I mean, I, but, I get where Austin's coming from, because that movie, you know, with Mr. Freeze, Schwarzenegger, and 
I think Uma Thurman was in it, right? As, and Chris freaking O'Donnell. Yeah, right. And Alicia Silverstone. And Silverstone, who feeds her kids like a baby bird. You know what? That movie was so bad that she stopped acting after that movie. Good. Have you read into that? <laughs> so that movie did one thing good, then. So Well, these talks are in the very early stages. Uh, it's not definite yet, but the, the talks are ongoing. The plot, apparently, in this movie will introduce general audiences to the idea of the multiverse. Mm-hmm. Are you guys up vomit. on that? Apparently, one of the core concepts of the DC Comics uh, are uh, for uh, this multiverse refers to a shifting number of of alternate universes that coexist within the reality. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, <laughs> it was created, apparently... Initially, to explain various contradictory yeah. changes that the characters experienced over the decades. Here, here's, so here's they what had to come to up with some kind of excuse for <laughs> inconsistencies. <laughs> and they were out of ideas. And so they came up with this. <laughs> mm. That's terrible. All right. Well, I, I was interested. Now I'm like, come on, Keats. What you doing, guy? Don't be yeah, involved well, with I, this stuff. The, didn't those original Batman band movies, they, they made a lot of money. They were great. Well, we'll see what happens next. He had the coolest Batmobile, too. Do you like those Batmans better than the Christian Bale Batmans? I I thought those movies were pretty good, the the Christian Bale ones. I agree. They're great. And I like like Michael Michael Caine. I just, I like the or 80, late 80s, early 90s feel and look to the Batman with uh, Michael Keaton in it, the, the two Batman that he's in, because... That's what I remember Batman being was that cartoon and, and that show and stuff back in the day. It was a little more nostalgic to me, I guess. For those of the older crowd, you know, the Batman that was became a real person, Adam West. I love the, Adam on, West on the Goofy Show. I mean, it was it was that was campy, campy humor. But I, just looking at this mask that Batman wears. He's covering almost everything except for what medical masks are covering now. Although the nose is sort of covered in the Batman mask, but everything else is open. So it almost looks like a reverse medical mask, which is kind of, I hope Batman stays healthy. Speaking of medical professionals, let's get out to the zone (laughs) phone. Joining us now from Wasatch Medical Clinic, he is our friend Andrew Reinhardt with us here on The Big Show. And uh, there's a new way in medicine to treat an old problem, and that's ED. And this way uh, seems to be making a lot of difference to a lot of people. Yeah, it is. We've seen patients from all over, I mean, in multiple markets now, struggling with ED and desperate for a solution. I mean, it's been interesting because most guys suffer in silence. You'll never know, you know, who has this problem and who doesn't. It's kind of attached to a man's sense of self-worth. So uh, we're hesitant as men to treat this. Wasatch Medical uses acoustic wave therapy. And besides the natural function and the spontaneity and not having to take the pill, it's just getting your manhood back a little bit. It's, it's, our, it's our ego, and getting that natural function feels so good to so many men, um, particularly the ones that have suffered with side effects and with the headaches. So we've seen a lot of good things from 20 years old all the way up to 95. This treatment can help just about anybody. Which is pretty awesome, and there's some pretty great science and studies out there to back up what you guys are doing. 
There is. The science page at wasatchmedicalclinic.com is a great place to go and see the American Urological Association, Cambridge Therapeutic Advances in Urology, even Men's Health Magazine sent one of the writers in to get a treatment, and, and, and he documented his experience. Pretty interesting and kind of humorous, actually. Uh, so the science is sound. The FDA has cleared the technology as of 2011. This is clinically shown to open up and regrow blood vessels, and that is what a man with ED needs more of. All right, and uh, we were talking about medical professionals. If you call 801-901-8000, you can come in and meet with the doc for free. Yes, uh, assessment, consultation, exam will test your blood flow. Really cool to do whether you think you'll do the treatments or not. Come and get your blood flow tested. You've probably never done it. Uh, And that is all free, plus a little special gift produces instant results in the bedroom. All right, 801-901-8000. Call right now, 801-901-8000. Wasatch Medical Clinic. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, guys. All right, 801-901-8000. Give them a call, 801-901-8000. We'll have more Big Show coming up next. Uh, Sarah Todd from the Deseret News is going to join us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.